0: Hi, I'm Jason, creator of The Grey Rooms. I wanted to welcome you to yet another episode of this fun and exciting first season. As we prepare ourselves for more stellar voice acting and production of a well-written literary masterpiece, I find myself realizing this season is rapidly coming to a close. Boo. We have achieved much this first season and we have grown as a team and as individuals. I certainly have learned many things that will make Season 2 a bit less stressful, let me tell you. Speaking of less stress, we offer this show to you for free, but the creation of it is not. We have a bunch of people we are always indebted to every episode and every day. We would not be able to do half of what we do without the help of our wonderful and supportive patrons. If you would like to support this show financially, then please head over to patreon.com forward slash the gray rooms and find the right tier for you. We promise you there is something cool for everyone. Just ask anyone with a key. We would greatly appreciate your support. Support like what we get from Brad Bone, Charlotte Norup, Alison Brandt, Arthur Unk, Brooks Bigley, Godzilla Eyes, Isabel Diedrichs, Jake Hauser, Jake Ivy. Kathleen Clyde, Remy, Big Man, Remy, Justin Thulu, Kelly Bear, Mary Wynn, Michael Beckwith, Rael Bruyette, Sergio Saucedo, Subversity Transmit, This Is All I Got Podcast, Trig V. Christensen, and Victoria Wan. And trust me, there are more of you wonderful patrons. But Thank you so very much for your support. Some of you have been helping us create for almost a year. This is truly monumental. And for you, I say keep your eyes on your mailbox. Something just might be coming for you. And I personally cannot thank you enough. Thank you. Truly, you are what keeps us going. And a huge shout out to our newest patrons. Thank you. And I hope you enjoy this wonderful family that we have all grown together. Now, without further ado, let's get on with this episode. Our stories may contain graphic or sensitive content that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You wake on a hard, cold floor, so cold it burns your skin. The air smells of sulphur and ash. Your head throbs. Your mouth is dry. You have no idea how you got here. Panic sets in. Fear becomes terror. What have you done? What brought you to this place? It doesn't matter, because now you belong to the Grey Rooms. Season one, episode 11. When my eyes opened, I felt air once again fill my lungs. I hated myself. It wasn't because of a man whose world ended in a downward spiral of drugs and debauchery. It wasn't the murder of the people he loved. I felt like this door was trying to tell me something.
1: Am I in hell? (laughs) Am I in hell?
0: There were nine circles of hell. This building had eight floors. Could this have been the last stop? I sat on the cold ground and stared at the shadows cast upon the table and chair. Together with the defective light and its irregular flashes, they felt like old friends. The keys were present, but the room felt empty this time. No souvenirs. I missed them. I I think there were tears running down my face. I couldn't feel anything, but I tasted the salt on my lips. I was alone. I stood up and followed the outside of the room with my finger gently tracing the wall. It was cold. It was always so cold. Maybe this was the ninth floor, and I was frozen along with the bastards like Cain and Judas. Treachery. That was the man's sin. Was it mine as well? I remembered things. Marriage and happiness. I remembered Lucy and her beautiful voice. I remembered her singing. I remembered how I made her smile. And then I remembered how things changed. I lost my job. It wasn't a big deal, but times were changing. No one would hire me because I wouldn't join that stupid cult. Unity. Don't you believe in unity, Raymond? And I... I I gave up. I hurt my wife. I wasn't there when she needed me. Why? Why did I make those choices? Choose a door, Raymond. Maybe I was always making the wrong choices. My baby... I don't know who or what my child became. I don't even know the name. Why? Why do I remember Lucy's name but did I have a son? I can't remember.
1: Was was it a girl? Uh, uh, How could I forget? Excuse- WHY HAVE YOU TAKEN MY BABY FROM ME?!
2: Because you killed it.
1: No. No, Bob. I know me. I wouldn't do that. I would never... do that.
2: Perhaps it would be best to choose a door, Raymond.
1: Where were you, Bob? Where were you?
2: Someone is interfering. I'm investigating. Do you need something, Raymond?
1: I need you! You're the... You're the only person I have!
2: You feel bad about the things you remember.
1: (laughs) I, I... I love them. I know I did. I know because I love them now. Doesn't that mean anything? Bob? Doesn't that mean anything? I don't
2: know, Raymond. Perhaps if you choose another door, you will feel better. (laughs)
1: You think death is the answer? All this pain that I feel? You think it will help me to forget?
2: Would you want to forget these things?
1: I don't know. It's... so much pain. Lucy... Why did you take her singing away? It was a lie. I don't care. It sounded nice.
2: So nice.
1: I, I miss her, Bob. I, I only remember fragments. But she was so beautiful. Choose
2: a door, Raymond.
0: walked over to the table and grabbed the two keys it's funny I spent most of the time wishing I had a physical, tangible person to scream at and attack but now I felt ashamed as if he were looking down on me and thinking that I was the most pathetic piece of shit that had ever walked the earth was this hell? Bob never answered maybe he was too busy Maybe I didn't care. I looked down as I stood beside the two doors that would judge my fate. One to my torment, one to my salvation. No Lucy to warn me. I had lost my spider sense. I laughed bitterly at the thought that I remembered ugly colors and superheroes but I couldn't remember the name of my god. My child. Did I kill them? Did I really do it? Why would she be singing to me if I did? Why would she be calling me if I did? I took the door on the right. If I saw it, I really didn't pay much attention to what it looked like. I was so sick of doors by now. Before I walked through the door, I thought of something. Bob mentioned that someone was trying to interfere with my choices. What if Lucy was alive? What if I was being toyed with? It all fell to whether or not I chose to trust Bob. He told me I killed them. How did she make the call? How was she singing to me? There was one thing that Bob told me that was absolute. Choosing a door would help me feel better.
2: That prisoner 929494 has chosen door 1916, called a certain man. Certain comments made by prisoner 929494 have been modified or purged entirely due to erratic behavior. Must uncover the source of these distractions before prisoner is deemed.
3: The Holy Man places hands on the child. Your pain is leaving you. You must thank God for healing you." The boy stirred beneath his covers, his eyes focused on the holy man. The man stood, feeling the ache in his knees the effort took. His hands made the sign of the cross over the child, "...not go to sleep. The tiny eyes slowly closed, and he waited until the child's breath rose and fell steadily before turning. The room was small, but exquisitely furnished, with gold and deep blue paper on the walls and gold trim on every chair and table. It was a child's room, filled with the child's life. Books, pencils, paper, wooden blocks and trucks fought each other for space on the shelf. Alexei will be well. A woman was there. Her fading brown hair was pulled back tightly behind her head, held in place on top by a bejeweled coronet. A stiff satin dress pooled around her chair. She rose and threw herself at the man's feet. Thank you, Father. She leaned down to kiss the holy man's shoes, but he stopped her, putting his hands on her shoulders, guiding her actions. Your Imperial Majesty, it is not me you should think. But the Almighty, for he is your son's savior, and I merely his vessel. The man felt his groin stare. That Sarina was a beautiful woman. The feeling passed, and the woman stood. His eyes traveled down her body.
4: I thank God every day for sending you to Alexei. And to me. You are the only one who can heal him.
3: He held up his hand. First two fingers pointed up, the rest folded. It was a gesture that guaranteed silence. Madame, did our Lord not say, Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you? The Tsarina's face fell, her features adopting a chastised appearance.
4: <laughs> You're right. Forgive me.
3: Alexandra recovered her formal, regal composure.
4: My son, his illness.
3: I know. He placed a large hand on her shoulder, stroking the curve of her neck with his little finger. All will be well. She opened her mouth to speak, but the holy man shook his head. Imperial Majesty, I am tired. I must rest.
4: Of course.
3: I'll send someone to attend to you. The man bowed and left the room. Walking down a long corridor panelled with floor-to-ceiling mirrors, their gilt frames reflected in a thousand directions, he stopped to admire himself. He saw a middle-aged man with stringy brown hair to his shoulders, a nose that dominated his face, and a dirty beard hanging down his chest his long black robe echoed those of a priest. However, the enormous gold chain around his neck suggested a wealth that should shame a holy man. How far he'd come! Born a peasant, he now lived in the Imperial Palace as a guest of the Tsar, and he had access to the Tsarina any time, day or night, or any of the ladies of the Imperial Court, as he demonstrated repeatedly. It was those foolish men and women the rich and wealthy. They'd lost their way and struggled for an identity in a world that no longer needed them. He represented the real Russia to those people. The glorious past they'd convinced themselves had existed. The honest, hard-working peasant upon whose back the aristocracy survived. Instead of shame at his unkempt appearance, a feeling of immense pride and power pulsed through him. With a small grin, He moved on, following the halls to his destination. His chambers were as lavish as the rest of the building. A gilded wooden table surrounded by heavy gilded chairs stood in the middle of the room, which was otherwise dominated by an enormous fireplace. Finely woven tapestries depicting religious scenes decorated his walls, and soft carpets from Persia covered his floors. As soon as the door closed behind him, the holy man undressed, leaving his robe on the floor. Beneath, he was naked. The air raised goose flesh on his arms, and he hurried over to the fire, holding his hands as close to the flames as he could without burning them. Sometimes he held them too close to test himself. A knock on the door announced a visitor. Mm -hmm. You may enter. A young woman came in, carrying a platter with food and wine. Her dress was made of transparent material, and the outline of her body in the candlelight made the man's groin stir again. Put the tray there, child. The girl did as she was bid, and then stood, waiting. He walked over to her. You know what is expected.
1: Yes, father.
3: And you give yourself freely for the good of Russia? I do. Before the words had left her lips, he stepped forwards and tore the dress from her. Picking her up, he carried her into another room. This one with a large bed, a canopy made of heavy wool, and the posts carved from oak. His body was ready, and the act was rough and over quickly. The girl just lay there. He watched the girl dress and leave, waving her away impatiently as she showed signs of lingering. Pulling a chair closer to the fire, he sat and drank, staring past the flames, mesmerised. The guilt the man felt after the intercourse was necessary for his soul, and thus for Russia. For sin and repentance were both needed for salvation. The more sin, the more repentance. He walked over to a desk and opened a drawer. Inside was a cat o' nine tails. He took the leather-wrapped wooden handle in his right hand, stroking it sensuously with his left. Moving to a smaller room off the bedroom, he kneeled, as if about to pray. He swung his arm up and over his left shoulder, slapping the nail-studded cotton cords against his back. The nails dragged through his flesh before tearing free. The pain was agonizing, searing his flesh. He raised his arm again and brought the whip down over the right shoulder. The smack of the cords as they connected with his flesh echoing through the room. The nails caught, dragged and tore. The blood was now running down his back and onto his thighs. His lips were white with the effort of pressing them closed, suppressing the moans. His hands struck again and again in a rhythm that favoured neither the left or the right. When he was done, he stood, his legs shaking. Staggering to the bed, he wrapped himself in a sheet before climbing in, blood seeping into the mattress beneath him. As he slept, he dreamed of his lowly birth, the mistakes of his youth, and his fervent spiritual wandering. His rise to power and insatiable need for more. More alcohol, more women, more wealth, more control. The man shook his head in his sleep. He woke suddenly, tangled in sheets, the bedding around him colored pale red where the blood had been mixed with sweat. He heard his mother calling again to the young boy he'd once been before it faded into his memory. Rising, he found more food had been left for him. He'd fallen asleep just after the clocks had struck midday, and now it was dark. Pouring himself a drink, he saw a note addressed to him that had been left with the fresh food. He tore it open.
4: Illustrious Father, I write to you most urgently about the matter of some delicacy. My wife, the niece of Sir Nicholas, suffers from a most alarming condition one which will have discovered a shame to her family. She suffers from a woman's condition, nymphomania. The miracles you performed on my wife's cousin, the young prince, are known to us and it is my deepest hope you will visit us tonight to treat my wife, your servant, Prince Felix Yusupov.
3: Rasputin tilted his head, considering the note. He'd helped the prince in the past, despite the fact he despised the man's lavish lifestyle and foolish opinions. And he was related to the Tsarina, if only by marriage. He ought to attend the man, but a part of him resisted. He was from Siberia, where there was no tradition of subservience, and he hated to be summoned by anyone other than the Tsar or the Tsarina. The prince's wife was the most beautiful woman in all of Russia, or so it was said, and her condition aroused both his mind and body. Decision made, He stood, retrieved his robe and readied himself.
4: Thank you for coming, Father. Please, sit here.
3: The Prince was wearing his imperial uniform, his hair cut and swept back in the latest European fashion. He'd brought them to the basement of his home, a small room, warm and comfortable, decorated by a woman. Before them was a table set with wine and cakes. Rasputin didn't waste any time. Where is Princess Arina?
4: Yeah, my wife is visiting friends, she's running late.
3: The prince smiled. She'll be here soon. He waved a hand expansively over the table.
4: In the meantime, here is some cake my wife made, and wine.
3: Felix placed a few slices on a plate and handed it to Rasputin, and then poured a drink. The holy man looked at the offering for a moment before taking a mouthful of orange-drizzled cake he nodded his approval and took another bite, swallowing it with a long draught of wine. The prince sat, watching the holy man. Beads of sweat appeared on his forehead, and he dabbed a laced handkerchief across his brow. Rasputin could feel more than just the wine burning his stomach. He drank more than any Russian he knew and even cheap wine didn't feel like this. Smiling, he helped himself to another slice of cake and held out his empty glass. Felix's hand was shaking as he poured. The pain started in his stomach. Before that, there was only the taste of wine and something metallic. And then the cramps gripped him. But he remained still, his face blank. Another cramp hit slicing through his stomach. He willed the pain to subside. The holy man finished the slice in two bites, washing it down with the entire glass of wine, struggling to swallow. All the while he stared, his disquieting brown eyes burrowing under the skin of the prince, ignoring the agonizing pain the poison was causing. It spread through his body, seizing the muscles in his thighs and shoulders. He controlled his breathing, feeling the pain with each expansion of his chest. The pain was searing, like something alive in his body, burrowing through organs and tissue tearing him apart from the inside. He was desperate to curl up in a ball on the floor, but instead, with excruciating effort, Rasputin held out his glass for more. God wouldn't let him die. There was still too much to do to ensure his salvation. Felix stood, his eyes wide, staring at the empty glass.
4: I'll see what's keeping my wife.
3: When he was gone, Rasputin let the muscles he'd been clenching relax. At once the pain overwhelmed him, and he held onto the table edge to keep from falling. He leaned his arms on the table, placing his head between them, and focused on his breathing. When he heard steps coming towards the room, he sat himself up again and adopted a featureless facade.
4: Here, look, he still lives!
3: The prince had returned with two men, other extended members of the royal family. The men stared at the holy man. One spoke.
2: Perhaps he really is chosen of God. We should stop. He's protected by God, by the Tsarina, by the Tsar himself. Nonsense. Felix
3: rounded on the man.
4: He's a charlatan, thief, coward and traitor. He convinced the Tsar to command the army himself, sending him to the front. Thousands died as the result.
3: The prince sneered at Rasputin.
4: He sleeps with anything that has two legs, no matter who they're married to. In fact, the more married they are, the better he likes it. This is no advisor or monk. This is an enemy of Russia.
3: Felix raised his arm and pointed a revolver at Rasputin.
4: Pray, Shabok, Pray for forgiveness.
3: The shot was deafening in the small room. The holy man felt nothing at first except the pain of the poison which was slowly paralyzing his limbs. Then a white-hot flame engulfed him, forcing his body into a convulsed position. The bullet ripped through his ribs and sent pieces of his flesh flying out of the exit wound from his back. This time he couldn't help himself. He fell onto the floor, gripping his chest. The pain took him, and all was black. The men watched him fall, then one kicked the holy man's leg.
2: He's dead. I need a drink. Leave the body here for now. He's not going anywhere.
4: Drink later. Take his coat and hat. Come with me
3: where Felix was sweating profusely his face blotched red
4: to his home
3: seeing the confused looks on their faces he continued
4: there are eyes everywhere some may have seen him arrive here we'll put on his hat and coat and take a carriage to his home people will think he left
3: kicking the body again he added
4: as you said he's not going anywhere
3: nor was he In the blackness, Rasputin waited, angry. The total darkness only made the pain worse, for there was nothing left to distract him, if that were possible. The poison had now flooded his entire being, the agony washing over him in waves. Between each surge, the path the bullet made burned, reminding him of the time when, as a child, he picked up a pot from the fire. The handle had burned his hand badly. It was the worst pain he'd ever felt. Amplified by the fact that he would had no frame of reference being so young, his current torture was worse. Rasputin's eyes fluttered open. He sucked in a breath, his body barely able to move. The men were gone. Remaining still, he slowed his breathing until it was almost imperceptible. A practice that had served him well in the past. In the distance, he could hear the men returning, noisy and drunk, confident they need not be quiet. The holy man waited.
4: I saw him move! Impossible! You've had too much to drink!
3: Felix waved his glass in the air, splashing wine on Rasputin.
4: I swear he moved! Look, I'll show you.
3: The prince got to his knees beside the body and peered into the face.
4: Hello! Kissing the devil's asshole, are you, holy man?
3: Suddenly, hands were around his neck, squeezing the smile from his face. Rasputin's eyes were black. The prince could see no sign of the usual mesmerizing brown, or the benevolence that shone through for others. No compassion for him, only hatred. Felix struggled, desperate to breathe. His thrashing caused the hands to loosen, and he was scrabbling away like a crab before the other two men could reach him. Turning himself over, he clambered up the stairs. The holy man followed. His mind closed out the paralyzing pain and his body took over. He moved slowly up the stairs, leering at his prey, murmuring words to a traditional children's song for well, the innocence of the refrain belonged to a different time and another man. The words pouring from Rasputin's mouth sounded obscene. The prince finally regained his footing and ran toward the front door, knocking expensive vases and statues down as he staggered out. A maid peered out from a doorway and shrieked in terror at the sight of the crazed, bloodied monster chasing her master. The white agony Rasputin felt took over his body once more. With a final roar of rage, he launched himself at Felix. His fingertips grasping and losing the prince's coat. His strength gave out, and he landed on the cobbled stones of the courtyard. Slowly, he turned himself over. Raising an arm, he used his elbow to hitch himself up and drag his dead legs a foot. He did the same again with the other arm, leading to another foot. Willing himself to stay conscious, he crawled in this manner until he'd nearly reached Felix. God would not let him die. Not like this by these men. The prince's men found him outside, where the trail of blood led. The prince was standing a few feet away.
4: It's not possible.
3: Felix's eyes shone with anger and disbelief. Without a word, one of the men pulled out his own revolver. No, wait! He stood over the holy man, and putting the muzzle to his forehead, pulled the trigger. The back of Rasputin's head exploded spraying blood, pieces of brain and slivers of skull. The holy man's body stood a few feet from the impact, dragging bits of still intact grey matter along the pavestones. The smear left by the body shone in the torchlight.
4: Get Chains
3: Heavy chains were wrapped around the body, woven tightly. They were taking no chances with him. He could no longer see, but felt the weight of the iron squeezing him. The rounded edges of the links pressing in on tormented flesh already screaming. His eyes were dead, but a sliver of consciousness remained. After the chains were secure, his body was forced into a large burlap sack. The smell drifted into Rasputin's brain as the last neurons winked out, reminding him of his mother. Rasputin! He couldn't answer. He gagged, over and over, but nothing came up. Tired. So very tired. The pain was like a blanket enveloping him. His final thought was of the trees surrounding his childhood home and the silence of the forests as the snow-covered boughs muffled the sounds of life. The river was deep and filled with giant chunks of ice from the sea, many icebergs that floated serenely hiding their true faces. They would crush a man if he were unfortunate enough be caught between the two.
4: It'll be days before anybody finds the body, if at all.
3: The prince and his men rolled the holy man over the railing, watching it splash into the black water. The body sank quickly, the iron chains weighing it down. His last neuron registered landing. On the silted river bottom. Before blinking out.
0: A Certain Man in Russia. Written by Kelly Evans. You can follow Kelly on Twitter at Chaucer Babe. Or Chaucer, Chaucer, Chaucer Babe. Yep, I just screwed that up. We all heard it. A Certain Man was performed by Alistair Mackey as both the narrator and Rasputin. You can follow Alistair on Twitter at Alistair Mackey. Sarah Ruth Thomas was the czarina. And the young lady who, I guess, came and ate chicken with Rasputin. Yeah. You can follow Sarah on Twitter at Sarah Ruth Voice. Max Evans. Well, he played Prince Felix. You can follow him on Twitter at EvilClown17. And now Clown has a K in it, just in case you're wondering. Thanks, Max. Graham Rowett was both of the Prince's henchmen. You can follow Graham on Twitter at GrahamNY. And Margaret Ashley played the role of Rasputin's mother. You can follow Margaret on Twitter at 1MargaretAshley. Audio engineering and sound design was by me jason wilson you can find me on twitter at audio torment the main title theme and episodes musical composition was done by jm scherf you can follow him on twitter at jm scherf music artwork for this episode was by cassie partit promotional artwork was by brooks bigley and you can follow him on twitter at brooks underscore bigley. and uh, let's all send him some ipa shall we Got to make that happen, Brooks. I promise it's going to (laughs) happen. But please, if you could take the time to check the show notes for a special link, we are currently in a campaign for show sponsors and advertisers. Your help with this three-question survey would be ever so appreciated. Just please click the link and help us grow. There is more to come very soon as we get ourselves geared up for the season finale coming up faster than anyone could have expected. But we are hard at work trying to make it something that you will always remember. We are also beginning work on Season 2, so as you can tell, loads of fun stuff happening. But thank you again for supporting this podcast with your listen. And if you would like to financially support this podcast, please just jump on over to patreon.com forward slash the Grey Rooms and pick your tier. We are also present on social media with a Facebook page and a Twitter of the same name, The Grey Rooms Pod, and an Instagram as well gray rooms podcast but thank you again for everything we are truly grateful to have you tell everyone you know who loves a good scare and maybe a halfway decent podcast what no okay yeah a good podcast about us and we will see you in two weeks have a good one